0: My name is Keegan Hat, and I am the youth pastor down the road at Faith Bible Chapel. And as such, I have been able to get to know many of your children and teens, some of whom are up here, giving me a big smile. And through them, I've been able to get to know many of you. And it was funny, <coughs> I ran into the wingers yesterday evening at the mall. And they said, Keegan, you know, one real nice thing that you're going to appreciate when you're speaking up at Calvary tomorrow is you're going to get to wear a microphone that really makes you look like Britney Spears. (laughs) And as I'm waiting to come up here and the children are, you know, a few children are crying as they have to leave. I'm like, oh, that's nice. They want to hear you speak. No, they're just, you know, upset they're going to miss Britney Spears. But that's all right. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Now by way of introduction, what we're going to be doing here this morning is focusing in on verse two in this chapter. We're going to focus in on verse two and it says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We're going to focus in on verse two and then in light of that statement, we're going to read through and look at the Ten Commandments. After that, what we're going to do is see how this statement is used and how it applies in the rest of the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul says that the historical events recorded for us in the Old Testament are actually written down for our instruction here today in 2016. They're written down for our instruction. So we're going to see how these historical events shed light on and describe for us our spiritual condition and how God uses them back here in Exodus chapter 20 to use as a foundation for our salvation, and then in light of that, how we live lives as Christians in an everyday context. So to give you a big idea of what we're going to be doing this morning, roughly we have three points. Now, I haven't labeled them in any nice fashion, and we're not going to be constantly referencing them, But for you to get an idea of where we're going to go, these are our three points. We're going to look at the big idea of verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. We're going to bounce around a little bit in the Old Testament, exploring this phrase, where it's found, what it means. Second thing we're going to do is in light of its meaning, how do we then understand the Ten Commandments? Because this is very important. If you miss the meaning of verse 2, you miss the whole of the Ten Commandments you miss it. It's that important. And the third thing what we're going to do, in light of verse two, how do we then understand the rest of the Old Testament? And from that, we're going to explore some practical points together. So let's read through Exodus chapter 20, verses one through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, or anything else that is your neighbor's. So the big idea, to really understand this passage, as I've mentioned, we need to zoom in on verse two. We need to zoom in on verse two. And there's two things that we need to do in that. The first thing we need to do is understand the historical event that this verse is describing. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's a historical event. We need to understand that. The second thing that we need to do is explore this phrase and its use throughout the rest of the Old Testament. We're going to look at three other passages in the Old Testament just to get an idea. What exactly does this verse mean? So the first thing, the historical event. As most of you guys know, the first five books of the Bible essentially could be considered the nation of Israel's founding documents. The historical events contained in these books are largely uh, the nation of Israel's relationship with the nation of Egypt. It's always revolving around Egypt. They're slaves to Egypt. They're on Exodus from Egypt. They're set free from Egyptian slavery. We see the nation of Israel in the beginning of the book of Exodus under Egyptian slavery, under Egyptian rule, under Egyptian bondage and oppression. Israel is a people who are totally subject to and under the unrelenting control of Egyptian slavery. Israel is was a nation in slavery. But fortunately, the book of Exodus does not end with Egypt indefinitely and ambiguously in slavery. It moves on. We see God raise up Moses to lead his people, his chosen people, out of this Egyptian slavery. And then ultimately we'll see in Joshua, they move into the promised land. So, it doesn't end with Egypt dominating over the nation of Israel. So, let's go back and read our verse again Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So, let's look at a couple other passages now that use this same phrase. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The first one's going to be later on in Exodus, chapter 29, verses 43 to 46. So I invite you guys to turn there and see this with me. We have the same phrase used in a similar context. Exodus chapter 29, verses 43 to 46. There I will meet with my people, sorry, there I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons will I consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell amongst the people of Israel and will be their God. In verse 46, here's the key. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Here in Exodus chapter 29, we see the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. We see the Lord establishing the tabernacle as the place where he can dwell in the midst of his people. And then we see him establishing the Arianic priesthood as those whom are to mediate the relationship between God and his chosen people. What's worthy to note for our purposes here this morning is what we see in 46, and they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. The actual reason that God is setting up the tabernacle and the priesthood is so that they may look back on the events of Egypt and use them as the basis for their present day worship, for their present day worship. All that we see prescribed through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 613 do's and don'ts of the law have as its foundation and its reference point the salvation of the nation of Israel from the slavery and oppression of Egypt. Next, let's look at Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter eleven, verses forty-four and forty-five. Leviticus eleven forty-four. For I, the Lord, am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I, the I am the Lord. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God? You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. The book of Leviticus deals with many particulars pertaining to the priesthood, the sacrificial system, and different moral injunctions that were designed to both have a people who reflected God's person and have a people who were set apart and identified as God's own from the nations around them. Now, one of the difficulties that people have with a book like Leviticus is that when reading through it, it can give the appearance of being simply a list of rules, a set of do's and don'ts, if you will. A set of do's and don'ts. Make no mistake, when you understand Exodus 20, verse 2, and then you read through the book of Leviticus, It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's a prescription for living life in light of what a great God has done for you in saving you from your slavery, in saving you from your sin. That's the book of Leviticus. And if you don't believe me with this, I encourage you guys to go home this week, turn open to the book of Leviticus, go to chapter 18 and read through to the end of the book. It's nine chapters. You could do this this week. And note, every single time you see our phrase, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And sometimes it's given in a shorthand form. I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God. And it's always in the context of do this or don't do that. Do this or don't do that in light of who I am and what I have done. In light of your salvation in light of your salvation. The big idea behind this phrase is this. Israel, Israel, don't forget your salvation. You were born into slavery. All you ever knew was captivity and oppression. And I loved you. And I saved you. I brought you out of this out of the land of Egypt. I'm a loving and gracious God. You were on the road to destruction. All you knew was destruction. It's all they knew, slavery. You were on the road to destruction, and I saved you. Don't forget your salvation. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house, sorry, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Next, let's move to the Ten Commandments and now read them in light of the nation of Israel's salvation. With an understanding now of what verse 2, this phrase, means, we can now understand this passage in light of this verse. John Calvin actually said that this verse, verse 2, really acts as a preface to the whole law, not merely the Ten Commandments. He said it acts as a preface. You can look at this in the Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says it right there at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. This verse is the preface to the whole law. You don't get it unless you understand this verse. God is setting up for anybody who reads these words the backdrop against which they're to be understood. And that backdrop is the salvation of the nation of Israel by a personal, gracious, loving God. And in light of this great God, let's read through his word together. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. In the scriptures, story, all the reasons that we worship and glorify God can essentially be boiled down to two things, who God is and what God has done. The Psalms of David are great for this, when, when David is offering up a prayer of thanks or Uh, prayer of worship, it's who God is and what God has done. Those are the basis for his prayer and worship. And here is no different. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the creator of heaven and earth. I am holiness. I am righteousness, immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. I am the Lord, who God is. And what do we see? What God has done. What God has done. Who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Is God worthy to make such a claim? You bet he is. You shall have no other gods before me because guess what? Nothing else is worthy to make such a claim. Nobody No thing, no created thing is worthy to be placed before the Lord. You shall have no other gods before me. Verses four through six. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You're not to create, serve, or worship a physical object or image as God. Why? Because they're not God. They're not worthy of your worship. They didn't save you, they didn't bring you out of Egypt. They haven't done anything for you. They're not God. Why would you worship them? Verse 7 You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't take the name of God and use it as a curse word or use it in an empty way. Why? Because the name of God isn't empty. It's not empty. This is the living God that you're talking about. And who should be the people who knew this best? Israel. If anybody knows that the name of God isn't empty, it's Israel. I am the Lord your God who did what? Brought you out of the land of Egypt who saved you. That little impotent nation went up against the greatest superpower in the world at that time and won by a landslide. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not empty. It's not empty. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, obviously, there's some uh, interpretation issues there. We're not going to dig into that. But this isn't a superstitious observance of days that's condemned in Colossians chapter 1. This is a day that God has graciously set aside so his people can rest and worship. Notice the first word in it. First word in verse 8. Remember. Remember. It carries with it the same emphasis that we see in verse 2. Remember my act of creation. Remember who I am. In six days I created the heavens and the earth, and I rested on the seventh day. Remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In verses uh, 3 through 11, we see the commandments as it relates to man's relationship to God. Man's relationship to God. What we're going to see now in verses 12 through 17 is commandments that deal with man's relationship with man. Our relationship with one another. How we live together and how we live in the world around us. Now, let's not forget verse 2. This is the foundation of what we're reading. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Our relationships with other people are determined first and foremost by our relationship that we have with God. As God has given everything for us, we now are to have the same heart attitude and actions towards others. We're to be gracious towards others because God has been gracious towards us. We're to be loving and patient towards others because God has been loving and patient towards us. If your relationships are strained, it could be your relationships with your parents. It could be your relationship with your spouse. Maybe you have a child who's wayward or a strained relationship. Maybe it's your colleagues or your boss. If your relationship with others are strained, you don't need a list of rules. You don't need a self-help book. You don't need to... Learn how to win friends and influence people. What you need is what this passage says that you need. You need to see your relationships with other people in light of your relationship that you have with God. That's what you need. That's what we all need. We need to see our relationships with other people in light of our relationship that we have with God. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. All these deal with our relationships we have with other people. And we understand them in light of our relationship that we have with God. Now I mentioned back in our introduction, that understanding verse two is the key to our passage here in Exodus chapter 20. And not only that, but the rest of the Old Testament. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't say that lightly. Um, You know, we we don't believe that the, the word of God is something to be taken flippantly. It's not something where we just kind of go on these obscure treasure hunts with weird passages and even weirder cross references to unlock some secret thing that nobody's ever known. That's not what we're doing here. What we're saying is that this passage, this verse in verse two is so littered throughout the scriptures that to miss it is to essentially miss a large chunk of what God has revealed to us in his word. And that's important. And that's why we're dealing with it here this morning. Understanding verse two is the difference between God being a distant, cold judge just waiting to pounce on you when you fail and a close, involved, personal God who loves you when you fail because he himself has provided the way to deal with your sins. To deal with your sins. That's the difference. Now, I was... uh, told that the time after 10 after 12 is reserved for those who are really good. So we're going to see if we can wrap it up here in the next 10 minutes, and uh, we won't step into that range. So let's look at a few points of application together. Again, in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, let's remember that what we see in Exodus chapter 20 was written down for our instruction in 2016. Written down for our instruction here today in 2016. There's a slavery that God's word compares to the slavery that Israel experienced under Egypt. The scriptures use this, it's littered throughout Hebrews. But this slavery, while compared to Egypt, is actually undescribably worse. Undescribably worse. Hard to imagine. It's a worse slavery than any human oppression, any kind of oppression that anybody could ever conceive of. And this slavery is a slavery that every single one of us are born into and bound by. This slavery is what the scriptures call Sin. Sin. And sin is so tied to who you and I are that the scriptures actually use it as a way to describe us. Our very being is described, our very identity is described by sin. That's who we are in and of ourselves. Sin. Read Romans 3 if you, uh, if you don't believe me. And look at the world if you don't believe me. Practically, this makes so much sense. If we don't understand the world without first understanding a biblical anthropology, understanding that we're sinners, it's hard to really make sense out of anything, is it? People think that it's getting better, it's good. It's not. Turn on the news. Turn on the news. But like the nation of Israel, the story does not end with us being stuck in this state of slavery to sin. Like Israel, God intervened in our situation, but not by raising up a Moses to lead us out of slavery, but actually by sending his own eternal son to die for our sins so that we could be ransomed from our slavery. Jesus doesn't come and simply lead us out of slavery. He actually takes our sin, our slavery upon himself, and he pays the penalty that that sin demands pays the penalty that sin demands. And now when we look at God's word, it's not against the backdrop of being saved from Egyptian slavery, it's against the backdrop of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for us. Amen. Is that not something to praise God for? I mean, we're here, we're singing this morning, we're praising the Lord, and there's people missing it outside. They don't know, they don't know what's going on in here. It's amazing. We get to come as people redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ, and we get to now, in good conscience, stand before the very throne room of God in Jesus' name and sing praises to our God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, now, when we read the scriptures, now, when we see the moral injunctions mentioned in God's word, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have turned from your sin in repentance and faith and trusted in Christ for your salvation, you don't look at the scriptures as a set of cold rules. You don't misunderstand them as some legalistic framework that you can make God now like you. He's not going to be waiting in the closet to jump on you when you pounce. We don't read the scriptures like that. We see now God's word, and in particular, the moral injunctions in God's word is something consistent with who we now truly are in Jesus Christ. And to live them out, to live what's called holiness, is actually living consistently now with our new identity in Christ, not consistently with our old identity as sinners. And that's sanctification. That's Christian sanctification. God is saying to you what he said to Israel back then. Don't forget your salvation. This is why we break bread, is it not? Do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget your salvation. Second point of application is this. The gospel restores relationships. The gospel restores relationships. We were able to look a little bit at the structure of the Ten Commandments and see how they deal with both our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. I just want to take a couple minutes here to just really stress this truth. Maybe this morning, getting up for church, wasn't a great morning for your family. I grew up in a Christian home and we probably batted 500 on a Sunday morning, stress, um, voices raised, sleeping in, whatever. Maybe it hasn't been a great morning for your family. Maybe it hasn't been a good week between you and your spouse or you and your child. The gospel of Jesus Christ as a byproduct now of your relationship with God is to restore the relationships that you have with other people. As a byproduct of your right relationship now with God is restoration of relationships, broken relationships because of sin that we have with other people. The gospel of Jesus Christ offers the same healing in your relationships that is offered when you come and trust him for salvation. The gospel restores relationships. The third point is this, and we'll close with this. Remember and learn about your salvation. Remember and learn about your salvation. When Steve called me and asked if I would uh, come to speak, which, by the way, is my privilege to do so. I've been blessed by being here. Uh, I asked him, I said, you know, is there an itch I can scratch? Is there maybe something that you'd like me to talk about? Um, how can I help? You know, where, where, wh- What can I speak on? And Steve was gracious. He said, brother, no, you know, whatever's on your heart, nothing too rigid. He said, you know, one thing that we are getting ready to do is we're getting ready to start a new series in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. And you think about it, if there's one book in the Bible, save maybe Romans, that really describes for and shows you how to live in light of your salvation... It's the Gospel of John. So here's my challenge for you guys. Let me me officially welcome you all to the Gospel of John, by the way. But here's my challenge for you guys as we close here this morning and as you guys start a new book of the Bible. As you study, as you learn, and as you take in God's word in the Gospel of John, remember Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. God saying to the nation of Israel, live in light of your salvation. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you, God, for your word. Lord, we thank you for this body of believers here, uh, shining as lights in the the world, lights in this city, Lord, our city, St. John's. I thank you, God, for the sweet fellowship that we enjoy together, us and faith down the road. And just pray, God, that you would continue to bless our relationship together. Father, I pray for these people specifically, God. I pray that your word would convict them of their sins. Father, it would point them to your son, Jesus Christ. And then through your word, Father, your spirit would transform them into the image of your son. We thank you, God, for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.